0: Hello so, and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm your co-host Katie Halper,
1: and I'm Matt Taibbi, and uh, this is our. I guess it's going to come out Christmas Eve, right? Indeed. Right. So, in the spirit of Scrooge, we'll just go right into the uh, Democrats suck thing. So it, uh, we 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 have a great show today, uh, yeah. and we'll of course. Our new our, our our new habit is this, we, we just don't tell people what the who the guest yeah, is gonna be. Yeah. I think this is a good one. I guess we gotta start with uh this this Jen clip. And when is this from exactly?
0: Uh early December.
1: Okay. All right. So we'll look at the uh the Jen clip first. Yeah.
0: No gills, sadly. She's not wearing gills. She's not her gills are well, not wait. visible.
1: Yeah, they're not visible.
0: Right, you're right. They don't go away there. In fact, I think maybe the g- the gills are the black part is right where the gills start She has to cover them up because if they're white, you can see through white, you can see her, her gills.
1: Yeah. I mean, would they be, I, I wonder how they work. Do they, do they sort of ra- raise and go down or do they open and close? I don't know. That I guess based be...
0: on how, what we saw the last time she exposed her gills, they weren't opening and closing. So we can only imagine it's the up and down.
1: Yeah. Or maybe it's, maybe it, you know, it's something more sophisticated than we're used to here on earth. Right. Anyway, um, so let's let's take a listen to the the
0: clip. Look at what we've done over the course of time. We've quadrupled the size of our testing plan. We've cut the cost significantly over the past few months. And this effort to uh, uh, to push uh, to ensure insurers are you're able to get your your tests uh, refunded means 150 million Americans will be able to get free tests. That's kind of complicated though. Why not just make them free and give them out to, and have them available everywhere? Should we just send one to every American? Maybe. Then but then what, ha- then what happens countries- if you if every American has one test? How much does that cost? And then what happens after that? Now, all I know is that other countries seem to be making them available for, in greater quantities for less money. Well, I think we share the same objective, which is to make them less expensive and more accessible, right? Uh, every country is going to do that differently. And I was just noting that, again, our tests go through the FDA approval process. That's not the same.
1: I mean, should we go to the punchline first or should we talk about the, 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 the sorry, I give that re-
0: I mean we can folk I think we can touch on the absurdity right
1: it's sort of classically like how how Democrats answer questions and, and look Republican politicians have a completely different way of being what ridiculous yeah. you know, on, on, on these things which is they tend to like sort of veer off planet Earth immediately and say stuff that you know bears no relation to reality what happens with with uh, people like Gensaki and spokesman Uh, that that sort of clintonian um breed of spokesperson is they they get genuinely angry like they there's this there's this um outrage that comes out and they start uh, you know giving you these responses that um you know are are designed to make you think that you're being completely irrational and um you know only a you know a, a person who just wasn't thinking straight would would uh would come up with a question like that and then next thing you know you get this uh end result
2: we also need to do better with at-home testing so i'm announcing today the federal government will purchase one half billion that's not million billion with a b additional at-home rapid test with delivery starting in january we'll be getting these tests to americans for free and we'll have websites where you can get them delivered to your home. We've arranged for it to be easier for you to find a free COVID testing site near you on Google. Just enter COVID test near me, the Google search bar, and you can find a number of different locations nearby where you can test- Google get search testing. bar? We're gonna continue to Yonu use search the Defense bar. Production Act, as we did earlier this month, to make sure we're producing as many tests and as quickly as possible. The bottom line is it's a lot better than it was, but we're taking even more steps to make it easier to get tested and get tested for free.
0: So it's just a great contrast, right?
1: I mean, they, they, he literally ends up doing what her sarcastic suggestion right. is. what she was mocking right.
0: as, as yeah. ridiculous. And even in that exchange, the woman kind of called her out like, well, yeah, that's what other countries are doing. Yeah, like she's so entitled and out of touch that she thinks that that's an own.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And what with, what do you think we're going to do? Mail them to everybody, and yeah. then next thing you know, Joe Biden's like, "We're going to be mailing them to everybody," <laughs> you know, right. like, with that you know sort of where he sort of has that like hostage vibe, you know. Yeah. Um. Yes, we are going to be um. You know, delivering these to your home. It's just classic. Oh, there, there's another element to this that's more complicated, that. Uh, is true of both parties, which is, you know, there's a lot of sort of unseen negotiation that goes on between the government and a lot of these big companies. And when they say things like "we're going to be delivering this to you for free," well, it's not exactly free <laughs> usually, usually. Yeah. Uh, often, what happens is you know they've they've given the company already a gazillion dollars to develop whatever it is,
0: right? You know, whether
1: it's a vaccine or a treatment or um, a test. So that usually comes from something like an NIH grant. And then uh, when we're in a situation like this, the government does buy up all the all the stuff at no cost to the taxpayer in other words they'll deliver it to you when you get it you don't have to pay for it right but it comes out of it comes out of your tax revenue nonetheless and alliance you know a significant share of that money ends up becoming profit for those companies there's an aspect to that story that is is uh is kind of annoying on another level yeah, they had. Th- this is an area where they absolutely should make this free, right? Yeah. They sh- they should definitely do that. Um, but their hesitancy in doing that is belied by the fact that they um, they so frequently, you know, have have no hesitation in buying up massive amounts of drugs from these companies, dr- drugs or other medical products from these companies at cost, uh, and. And don't negotiate the price down and do all these other things. It's, it's, it's just another thing that, that, that makes that, that uh, outrage response by Jen Psaki. Like, what do you want us to do? Spend the money? Like, yeah, like you don't do that all the time. Like Donald oh, yeah. Trump didn't do that. You know, I mean, like he buying 500 million doses of, of remdesivir or whatever it was, this is just something the governments do. So, yes. And anyway. they
0: should do it. And they're the science party. They're the are the party that's well, supposed well, to be good on COVID.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue they should do it in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I should argue that, I mean, I would argue that they should do it in a way that's takes a little bit more of a bite out of the companies than it does. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, Than it does currently, but right. anyway.
0: Right. Yeah. Which also uh, shows how their commitment to science is compromised by their commitment to pharmaceuticals.
1: Right. Yeah, like, aren't, aren't you the ones who are, who are deeply committed to making sure that the, the virus doesn't spread? Right. Except when, you know, what was the holdup there? They weren't, you know, right. the- Why were they they already doing that? Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make any they sense. They
0: wanted to make sure it doesn't spread within the United States.
1: Right. But abroad,
0: right. it let it do its thing. Yeah. Because we understand science and how viruses respect borders.
1: Exactly, exactly all right what do we have for republicans right, so for
0: republican suck just uh going to uh a piece by uh ahmed Tw- uh, twage uh at al jazeera and if we could just look at the article what we got there is representative tom massey shared a christmas photo of his family holding guns on twitter and you know for people who are just listening i mean matt you know more about this than i do
1: i, I, I really don't but go ahead yeah
0: well these are not hunting guns right these are uh are like, they, what,
1: AR-15s? What are they?
0: Yeah, they are, would, would we call them military?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're like automatic rifles. Automatic sorry, rifles. Sorry, well, semi-automatic rifles.
0: Semi-automatic. Semi-autos. Yeah. Semi-automatics, yeah. yeah. And it's a... Well,
1: one of those looks like it could be a, like a shotgun.
0: Which one? The moms? Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's cute because there's a little girl holding one.
1: She's, she's got like a Tech 9, it looks like.
0: Yeah. See, I knew you knew more about this than I did. So we got how many kids? I don't know if the, we got him and the wife. The wife is the is the most peaceful member of the family with the, just a good old-fashioned shotgun perhaps. I mean,
1: the shotgun is the is the scariest weapon of all.
0: Oh, really? How come?
1: Cuz it'll just blow your face clean off. You might survive some of those other uh really? weapons. Yeah.
0: Why? Why I thought that they would be making the point of that. It was uh
1: well, I mean the the point of the other ones is that they, you can fire more often, but it's I firing think. a sm- smaller round like a shotgun shell will just blow your head off.
0: Right. So you have to have good aim. Yeah. And and then of course, I mean this is in the context of obviously the recent shooting in Michigan. What is
1: Yeah, what is what? he carrying though?
0: I don't know. I wish we I mean I think the person who who Ahmed Twage is a great journalist. He may not be that well versed with guns though cuz I don't think there's a lot of and he and he captioned it um and this was, okay, four days after this came, he p- tweeted this out four days after 15-year-old Ethan Crumley allegedly killed four of his fellow students and injured seven others at Oxford High School in Michigan. And what was this year's deadliest school shooting?
1: There's a, there's a CNN article, one of the fathers of the uh, kids from the Parkland shooting said that this was, a, that Massey's tweet was in the worst taste ever. Yeah. The thing that Massey's holding is the one that looks, that looks the, the most menacing. It looks like one of the alien weapons from like the Avengers.
0: It's just a creepy photo, I think, in general. The family, even without guns, they look kind of creepy in that photo.
1: I like how the daughter's gun is sort of aimed at sort, or, sort, sort of at mom's face. Like, yeah, that's kind of basics of, of uh, gun handling is that you don't want the barrel pointed at anybody even. Right. Even temporarily. Like, I, I guess it would miss her face. It might catch the edge of her nose. Which she could pro- she'd probably be all right with.
0: Yeah, that's not so bad. So, yeah, they're all in plaid. Well, not all of them, actually. Two of them are in plaid. They're, they're somewhat color-coordinated. Maroon, red, blue, green, Christmas tree in back. Yeah, he, he tweeted that he wanted Santa to bring ammo. Yeah. Please bring ammo. And then let's look at what, in response, uh, Lauren Bobert of Colorado uh, tweeted out. So the Boberts have have your six rep, Thomas Massey. No spare mm. ammo for you, though. And then it's a picture of her and her much younger than Massey's kids all holding guns in front of a Christmas tree. Guns that I don't think kids. I mean, how old do you think those kids are? Uh,
1: six, eight, nine.
0: And then like a 12 year old or something. Yeah, but they're young. I mean, I can't. I was about to say the other ones are young. All of them are young, too young mm. to be holding guns.
1: The Boberts have your six, huh?
0: It's just scary. Don't like seeing young people, especially with guns,
1: yeah, I'm not a gun person. Um, I don't get it. And for me, for for me, my objection to guns has always been based on like my own incompetence. Like, I know that if I have a gun in the house, that it's only it's only a matter of time before I shoot some part of my body off, or right. you know, which. Hopefully. potentially in my head yeah yeah you know if you look at the statistics of the number of people who have accidental shootings in their homes like yeah. i don't know how any parent makes the decision to have a gun in the house but they do people dig it
0: i just don't get how you could show your kids holding those guns it's not like they're hunting rifles either it's not like oh i take my kids out to hunt
1: well it's for the, the, they would argue it's for target shooting I mean, you can't have a fully automatic rifle, so, right. um, it's not, it's not for full blown urban combat or, you know, or mass slaughter. Yeah. Although I guess Mini you, could, slaughter. You, could, you could convert them, but oh yeah, yeah I, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like you
0: should make that your holiday card. Just swap your kids heads onto those kids.
1: That would be funny actually.
0: Yeah.
1: You'd the boberts, right. Oh, I, they, I don't have enough kids to make you that You could work.
0: leave one of them.
1: Yeah, I could quickly have another one. know it wouldn't, oh, wouldn't, yeah.
0: it wouldn't that went happen in time. time. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You
0: could put your face where the oldest kid is. Right. Your wife's face where Bobert is, and then you got it. Right. People yeah. don't know what you look like from the shoulders down.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: It could be very short.
1: I could be. I could yeah. be. Yeah. And why do they have to do this after every mass shooting? I just.
0: Yeah, I know. You think that they'd have you? when you think that they have a wait time.
1: I don't know, Like there, there's there's cra- there's crazy stuff that goes on all over the media. But um, but that 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 particular trope is is like a consistently demented facet of the Republican experience. It feels like to me.
0: Shouldn't, I mean, you're not allowed. Kids like that shouldn't even be allowed to hold guns like that, By which I mean, kids of a certain age.
1: I think it's probably only a crime if you're if you don't have the appropriate safety facilities in the yeah, house or something like so. that i don't know
0: i don't know not I'm something down, i have I don't, to deal with obviously
1: i don't have a gun and i'm not going to get one
0: yeah
1: Although i will say i i know i know lots of people in the last couple of years who i would never have thought would buy guns who have bought guns
0: but they probably don't uh i mean i don't think it's a wise decision but they probably don't make greeting cards with that but maybe in five years they will start to
1: maybe Maybe yeah. maybe we're headed that way. All right. So what do we have for? Uh, isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? The New York Post is starting to become the the go to publication for That's this. Pretty good. For this section, right? The headline is: Ex Versace model credits youthful looks to drinking his own urine. It's awesome because they really get the spirit. Actually, the Post always does. Yeah. The post is consistently good about how, how this stuff is, has to be written. Yeah, it is the, good. The lead is, he's making a splash. Very good. An ex-model is crediting his youthful experience to drinking his own urine, flushing it into his rectum and rubbing it onto his skin. <laughs> it's
0: urine immersion. Try- it's not just drinking it. It's an, a urine enema. <laughs> urine enema. Urine enema
1: uh troy casey traveled the world posing for high fashion labels including versace back in the 1980s and 1990s before becoming a life coach the 55 year old says he's been able to maintain his model looks and physique thanks to a daily dose of his own pee. quote i drink my own urine every morning i call it hair of the dog casey proclaimed in an interview with news dog media the feeling is electric why is it hair of the dog? Does he, does he get drunk on it at night? I don't
0: know. I know that's weird. Or was he trying to pander to the news dog media? Maybe. It so, makes no sense though, yeah.
1: The former fashion darling first heard about urine therapy known as Shivambu in uh, Ayurva, Ayurvedic. Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine back in 2004. And he's got, there's this picture of him.
0: He does look big, pretty young. And what do you say? i wouldn't I, guess f- 55 would you maybe, um, maybe it's not a great angle of him maybe i would guess 55 maybe that's just confirmation bias and he looks 65 or something
1: i i wouldn't have said that this is like a <laughs> an, like a an unnaturally youthful looking 55 right. year old i mean he looks yeah. kind of like
0: cast away
1: tolstoy during the anna karenina period yeah you know
0: yeah. Also, he's holding a green juice, which I'm hoping is not his urine.
1: Soon after, he decided to sample his own pee and was pleasantly surprised. "Quote: It wasn't as bad as the mental barrier in my own mind," the ex-catwalk star reminisced. "I felt a cool buzz. Intuitively, it just felt good." I drank my urine on and off for a while. From there, Casey began drinking his own urine on a daily basis back in 2008 and hasn't looked back. He has even completed a seven-day urine fast, drinking nothing but his own waste liquids for an entire okay. week. The resourceful health guru now uses his his urine in other ways as well. Oh, God. Right. But Casey claimed he bottles his pee, lets it ferment, and uses it in an enema. I would cultivate my own urine and ferment it in a sealed mason jar for two weeks before transferring it into my rectum he explained age urine enemas are so powerful for your health and i got my six pack abs after doing them i flushed out my gut and that's when i really got ripped uh the former model also uses urine as a moisturizer okay we can just
0: casey who previously hit headlines for claiming thanks for highlighting this wilson for claiming there were health benefits (laughs) to sunning his anus has more than 120,000 Instagram followers who look to him for unorthodox wellness advice. Yeah. Oh my God. And there's a photo of him. How would you describe this? There's, this is a yoga position. Happy baby. I think he's on his back, totally naked and his feet are legs are (laughs) up in the air and he's holding his feet in his hands.
1: But he's he's aiming his rectum at the sun.
0: He's sunning his rectum. Yeah. He's doing I a how sun the sun feels about that rectum. Yeah, I know. I do <laughs> know,
1: like, yeah, try trying to aim a little bit of extra oh heat God. that way, <laughs> you
0: know. I thought when they said sunning his anus, I just thought he'd be lying on his stomach. But I guess he has to really expose it. He could have some like you know what they use. That wouldn't sun it. It wouldn't sun it. You'd have to use some kind of apparatus, like when you get a pedicure, they put stuff between your toes. Oh, my God. It says butthole sunning, charging up the body. Yes, it's a real thing. It put like foam. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's things that go between your toes. So you'd have to have some kind of spacer.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But not covering the rectum, the anus. Right.
1: (laughs) Is there a video? Do we get to watch the video? All right. Let's watch the video.
2: Okay. Here we go. Here's my empty cup. Let's fill it up. Usually I do this first thing in the morning. The first pee
3: has all the stem cells, the amino acids, hair of the dog.
0: What does that mean? So he's peeing now? You can't he's see peeing pretty vigorously. Yeah, he is. And whatever
3: sweet. ails you it's going to give you a nice little tune-up, energetically, hydrogen-rich.
0: Now he's oh, he's oh, oh, ah. oh. Yeah.
3: to your health god bless you
0: He doesn't look that young i think if maybe if he shaved the beard i guess his maybe. body looks young
1: i guess but yeah the body looks beard
0: is aging <laughs>
1: maybe if he didn't shave if he didn't drink his pee he'd look he'd look like uh
0: old man time Van winkle
1: yeah or benjamin button or whatever right whoever you know or, yeah I don't even know who a young good looking actor is nowadays. Who, who's a uh, young good like, Oh I see what
0: you're saying? Uh, I don't know. Uh who is, is he, young, like
1: I the mean. my my first thought was Robert Pattinson, but he's he's old now.
0: <sighs> who is that?
1: He was the guy in those um the good looking one of those good looking vampire movies,
3: Twilight.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So he's he's young enough, right?
3: No, but he's now he's he'd, now be, he'd be like Timothy Chalamet now, this guy, if you if he stopped drinking his pee. Right. 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 Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that was that.
3: Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins
4: podcast wherever you listen.
0: What do we have next? So for isn't that terrible? We have something that we talk about a lot on the show, Um, which is, you know, it's not necrophilia, although there was a necrophilia story. But I decided not to go there, even though it raised a lot of interesting questions, because necrophilia, the crime is only two years in England. Mm. They want to make it longer. And I really was aware. I really got how bad it is for. And this is why my position is so consistent. I've always said if they have family members, you can't do it. It only is OK. It's only a victimless crime when, you're, when the victim is a hermit.
1: Who you find dead opp- oppor- opportunistically.
2: Right,
0: a hermit who you've not killed. I've always maintained that. So, so
1: opportunistic ne- necrophilia.
0: Yes. Opportunistic hermit-based necrophilia. Right. Because these people are really upset. There's a guy who works in a morgue, which is, of course, a great place to work if you're that. And uh, the, the relatives are very upset. Um, luckily, I mean, not luckily, but he... I think he actually killed people also. So hmm. he's going to be locked up for that. But they did... In, under English law, they determined... And this is very radical... They deter more radical than I am. They did determine under British law that it was a victimless crime. They didn't even have the loophole I have. <laughs> so, anyway. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I guess I'm I'm outside of the mainstream in America, but I'm kind of more. I'm like I'm actually kind of conservative. The world, the
1: world is coming around. Yeah. It may even have raced past you.
0: It definitely has. Yeah, in England. Yeah but the other the other terrible story is the UN talks to ban slaughterbots collapsed so slaughterbots are weapons that select and apply force to targets without human intervention they make their decisions with artificial intelligence software which is essentially a series of algorithms for the first time this year the bulk of the 125 nations that belong to the UN convention on certain conventional weapons said they wanted new laws to be introduced on killer robots however some countries that are developing these weapons including the US and russia were in opposition making a unilateral agreement impossible so this is scary slaughterbots are scary we've talked about them before we've shown that scene from robocop and also well, d-
1: drones are also kind of slaughterbots
0: right that's true drones are slaughterbots they they um,
1: usually i mean they can be they can make their decisions based on algorithmic calculations right. like if, if If the what they the data they get in has enough markers like military age male in a certain area with a gun or whatever it is like that, I I think, I think they they can work like that. Yeah, but I don't know. But
0: well, they actually there are okay. so they're already being used uh, Mm -hmm. on the battlefield in Libya, cargo drones made by Turkey's STM have been used in the nation's civil war. According to a UN report published in March, these cargo cargo drones are small, portable rotary wing attack drones that provide precision strike capabilities for ground troops, according to Mm -hmm. STM's uh, uh, website. And they were used in Libya to hunt down retreating soldiers, according to the UN report, which is disgusting. It's really gross. They look similar to normal consumer drones, but they have a gun attached. And they're fairly inexpensive. buy and relatively easy to mass produce
1: yeah i think drones uh on the whole are are about to make our lives basically unlivable
0: yeah what can we do
1: nothing they're here to stay they're like think about think about what's going to happen with you know they already have like in for instance in britain that cctv system where if you're walking along a public street, you're probably on a police camera somewhere. And right. they use that as a major law enforcement tool. How far off are we from being in a world where all the time there are drones overhead that are going to just sort of take pictures of everything? And it's it's going to become, you know, our version of Orwell's telescreens. Yeah. There's that thing. And then there's the whole, the, the fact that the the notion of using drones um, instead of piloted aircraft, you know, as a way to assassinate people and and, you know, provide support in ground operations or whatever it is, that's already so taken over, like our whole thinking about how war works. I don't think there's any going back from that.
0: Yeah. What do we? It's, it's, it's so there?
1: destructive. I mean, look at the Yemen thing. I mean, that uh, almost. I mean, it wasn't entirely, but it was significantly a drone caused disaster. Right. Just, you know, we're 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 a huge part of that.
0: Maybe that can be your next book.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty bad.
0: It's pretty bad. Also, another isn't that terrible? I just want to do a P, kind of PSA. Procter and Gamble uh, mm-hmm. recalled a bunch of products, aerosol products, and dry shampoo, and uh, so so make sure you. Get rid of your shampoos, your dry conditioner, your dry shampoos uh, by, if the brands are Waterless, Pantene, Aussie, Herbal Essences, and Hair Food, Coconut Dry Shampoo, Old Spice Fiji Dry Shampoo, Old Spice Pure Dry Shampoo. It's terrible that they have a carcinogen in it. It's good that they voluntarily recalled it, but it's Mm. bad they put it in there.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So that's this week's Isn't That Useful to Know. Thank you so much, useful idiots.
1: Yeah. That yeah. Meant. No, we we, uh, we we did that purely as a public service. hmm. Good for us. Yeah. Good
0: yes.
1: for us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, OK, well, that was for food groups. Yeah. So, um, Katie, do you want to explain uh, what we have coming up?
0: Oh, yeah. So we've we got some great guests coming on the show. We are going to be talking to Danny Sherson. He is a U.S. Army officer with combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's the director of the Eisenhower Media Network which is an organization of critical and independent expert former military intelligence and civilian national security officials and the author of three books, Patriotic Descent, Ghost Riders of Baghdad and A True History of the United States and Matthew Ho, who was a senior fellow with the Center for International Policy and a member of the Eisenhower Media Network. He is a 100% disabled Marine combat veteran. And in 2009, he resigned his position with the State Department in Afghanistan in protest of the escalation of the war.
1: So let's, uh, without further ado, talk to those individuals.
0: Yes. Matthew and Danny. To the show, thank you so much for coming on. There's so much we can ask you about. Uh, I want to actually start off by talking about Build Back Better, uh, especially because you, Danny, wrote a piece about the way the United States makes decisions in terms of budgets. Uh, you wrote a piece at Newsweek about this um, called "Pinching Pennies for People, But Endless Cash for War," and you wrote that before the whole, you know, Joe Manchin debacle, but. Can you talk about what the Democrats are doing, what the Republicans are doing, and how that relates to your experience in the military?
4: Well, absolutely. And I'm glad you asked about this. It's uh, becoming more and more apparent that the only thing that, you know, they want to build back better in Congress for sure is unusable nuclear weapons (laughs) and F-35s that uh, cost a lot and might fly and basically put money into the pockets of the war industry. And, you know, I don't say that as just some other, you know, you know, dismissed hippie peacenik. I mean, both Matt and I spent basically careers in the military or in Matt's case, military and state department, but it's absurd. And where where do we see this? Uh, The only, there's an idea that politics are so tribal now, Republicans, Democrats can't agree on anything, especially after Trump. And of course there's some truth in that, depending on the issue, but the one bipartisan issue it seems, or the remaining one in Congress is military spending. I mean, almost nobody has the guts to vote against obscene budgets that grow like the universe into perpetuity, which I still don't understand, but I'm not a science guy. They will not vote against that because, especially since 9-11, it appears that if you don't support endless military budgets, well, you're certainly a paltry patriot, And maybe not even American, and you probably work for Putin or or something, right? And so Build Back Better, you know, really is over the course of basically 10 years. So the amount of money that actually is being spent annually for real people, right? So actual social spending is really pretty minimal compared to 768 or whatever billion. 25 billion more than the president asked for right than the Pentagon asked for that Congress added on and that's that's just that's
1: just the standard military budget, by the way, it doesn't include a whole host of other stuff that people don't know about in state and other agencies that it's actually military spending right.
4: That's right. And Matt, what do we what do we often say about, uh, Matt, 1.25 trillion, a uh, give or take, or 1.3 trillion is the actual national security budget. And the last thing I'll say about that is if you look at the budget and you look at our performance and you look what we're actually spending it on, uh, this is a national security budget that should be in quotes because it doesn't secure us. It doesn't secure the American people. It's often counterproductive and uh, wildly wasteful. For, for
1: years, uh, I, want, I want to ask you this question, like why? why this doesn't get covered because for for years whenever the budget numbers came out for the military i would like write a column almost annually noting that nobody was covering it unless there was some kind of weird culture war angle on on the on the budget like a couple of years ago i don't know if you remember there was a, a an issue that donald trump hadn't um, use John the, the name of John McCain, in the, that was on, whose name was in the bill, and that became how they, they talked about the passage of, of the record budget. Um, but is this, just, is, is this just a problem of media that, we, that they don't like to cover issues that the parties
4: agree on, or is it something deeper than that? I think it's twofold. I mean, first of all, there's the follow the money trail, and it, it doesn't help that a lot of the major media conglomerates are sort of complicit if not profiting and invested a lot of the owners in the same kind of war industry spending. So it's, you know, it would go against the bottom line to do it. But I also think there's a cultural component, where we don't talk about this, you know, it's the the one sacred cow in American society seems to be the military now no one really no one in power really cares about the truth. So they wouldn't send them on boondoggles that can't be one, but they're a really great political tool. Uh, so I think that there's that cultural angle. But you're right about how the culture war issues are the ones that get mentioned. So as far as I can tell, there's really only three things that have gained any real resonance uh, in the debate about this massive obscene spending bill that doesn't secure us. There is whether women should be, allowed, be drafted. That gets a lot of articles written about it. Uh, anything involving whether we're gonna take the, you know, the control of the legality on sexual assault charges, which are littering the military out of the hands of commanders, which I think should be the case. Uh, and then the third one is there's like spending for a UFO research study. That's just like for the first time open source in this bill. I mean, there's there's some treasure troves of absurdity in this bill, but you'll see more coverage of that. So I have to agree with you completely. And it, it raises some serious questions about our political culture. Did you have any
1: experiences in the field that sort of uh, awoke you to the absurdities of the contracting situation? Like we had a guest on previously who served in Afghanistan and talked about being forced to um, use a new communication system before his troops have been trained up in it just because a contractor wanted to put it in the field early. Um, Did you have experiences
4: like that that that, uh, spoke to that problem? Uh, well, well, certainly. And I'll mention one and then uh, if it's all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand over to um, Matthew Ho yeah. at this point, because I know that on both the military and the State, state Department side, he's probably seen much more grotesque things than me. But, you know, one example is that as a, a company commander in Afghanistan down in Kandahar, which was uh, sort of like a home turf for the Taliban, right? The idea that we could ever win down there was sort of ridiculous. It's like the Yankees going to Fenway Park. It's a tough place to play, you know, <laughs> anyway. Uh, we had something called the Cash for Work program. We called it a uh, CFW, but we really should have called it the Cash for Pretending to Work program. And at one point, we had about 1,200 Afghans who we basically paid not to attack us, and they would pretend to dig ditches or or paint roads. And, and we're talking backpacks full of cash that would just kind of be handed out. And you know, not only is this taxpayer money, but it, it, the waste of it, and and the idea that there was it was so short term. You know, it, it didn't do anything except further fuel sort of a black market economy. We knew a lot of it ended up in the hands of the Taliban. Um, But then there were other, you know, other examples of, like you said, different weapon systems we'd constantly be trying, like ways to find IEDs that never worked. But if you looked at who built the, you know, who built the system that we were forced to pilot and find out it didn't work, sometimes by stepping on an IED, uh, it was usually going back to, you know, Raytheon Lockheed or one of their subsidiaries with a funny name that no one's ever heard of. But uh, I know for sure that Matthew Ho has a lot of interesting uh, experience here, especially when he was working for the State Department in Afghanistan.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, the same in Iraq, too. I had the same program in Iraq. I had about 5,000 Iraqis doing the same thing, cash for work program. I mean, we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars every week. um, And the insurgency got bigger and bigger every week. Uh, You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the most dramatic example I can think of didn't occur though in Afghanistan or Iraq. And in 2008, I led a a Department of Defense uh, counter suicide bomber team. And we were responsible for finding technologies to defeat suicide bombers. And we did all these tests. We would go up to Massachusetts, just one of the uh, Air Force research labs up there and just run tests on all this different equipment, cameras and imaging devices and uh, uh, scanning technology, all kinds of things. And what we found was the only two things that actually worked to find a suicide bomber was the $600,000 machines that TSA uses or the $3,000 metal detector that you have in every courthouse in the United States. Nothing else worked. And so our report back and our recommendation was to buy these $3,000 metal detectors And you, because what was happening in 2008 was Iraq was having elections coming up. So we were under pressure to find something to uh, uh, dissuade suicide bombers from attacking people going to the polls. And this was the answer. And the response I got back from SES, senior executive service people who were part of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army particularly, their response was, no way, it doesn't cost enough. It just no one will go with this because it doesn't cost enough. (laughs) And honestly, I ended up having to go to Congress to talk about this. Uh, I think Bill Young, I think, was the uh, uh, at that time was the uh, I think he was the uh, either the chair or the ranking member for the House's Appropriations Committee for Defense. And um, yeah, I mean, how to go in there and defend this and the contractors coming in. I mean, it is just one machine. And it is a money spending machine. Uh, it, it is uh, the parlance we use in the military is the self-licking ice cream cone. You, you find justifications for things. And this has, I think I want to, I, I think people really need to get that this is one of the ways that the wars affect us here at home. When you talk about these budgets and the fact that we have, whether or not you're, you believe economically that deficits and debt matter, it matters politically. Because that's the whole basis behind what both Democrats and Republicans use to justify whether or not we pay to replace pipes with lead in them in this country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so when you have that, when you have this, this uh, $1.25 trillion spending every year, uh, and the third biggest item in that, After defense and after veterans, veterans affairs is about two hundred billion dollars a year. The third biggest item. So the third, if if this item was its own agency, right, its own department, it would be the third biggest department budget-wise in the whole federal government. And that item is debt and interest payments on past military spending and war. We are spending over $150 billion per year on past military spending, whether debt payments or interest payments. Uh, The total for the Iraq and Afghan wars just in debt payments is a trillion dollars already. I mean, so it has a real effect on us because when you go back and you look at spending, federal spending over the last 20 years, everything that's not defense related either has remained flat or has declined. In terms of outlays. And remember, we've grown as a nation by 50 million people. So, I mean, this has a very real effect on us. You want to know why our bridges and roads our bridges and roads need to, you know, the backlog for that. I mean, all the examples we could be here all day talking about all the different things we could be spending money on, but we don't. And the corollary of this, and I think this really ties into a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, 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 of uh, what we see in this country, I think, with regards to support for Trump and the Republicans and, and you know, the whole issue of, of the deaths, deaths of despair, uh, you know, I mean, that issue that is being spoken about more. Um, but, you know, one of the angrier anger that one of the things that, that makes people angry is that people are getting rich off of this. And so as you see the defense spending, the military, the war spending increase, everything else remain flat or decline. What happens is Washington, DC becomes the wealthiest part of the country. Up until around 2003, 2004, the wealthiest part of the country was Silicon Valley. Before that, it was you know, New York. At another time, it was Tulsa and Dallas because of the oil and gas, right? You know, and now, the wealthiest part of the country since around 2004 or so, 2005, because of the defense spending, because there's nothing else besides the bank bail- bailouts, right? Are the Washington, DC suburbs. I mean, so this has a very real effect on people.
4: Yeah, I guess on that, I've said it a few times before, and it's only partly tongue-in-cheek. Nation building hasn't worked in Iraq, uh, certainly not Syria, and definitely not Afghanistan, but uh, nation building's been super effective in the northern Virginia suburbs, where everyone used all that war industry money to put, like, actual building of extensions on their houses.
0: (laughs) I thought it was interesting also that you quoted um, in your piece, Danny, uh, you quoted someone who had said, "Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired, signifies, in the final sense, a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are sold and are not clothed." Which I would have thought was like a JFK quote, but is actually Eisenhower.
4: Yeah, that's you know one of the reasons that Eisenhower is a, a complicated guy, right? So we, his, some of his policies, uh, especially involving the CIA in Guatemala and Iran, were were pretty obscene. But he also kind of had the Pentagon's number. Uh, you know he's a 1915 grad of West Point uh, he's kind of horrified by what he sees in World War II despite sort of leading the victory against the uh, Germany but he also understands the generals and he under- he understands how the war industry and the funding works and so actually he spends most of his tenure, eight years battling with his generals over things like strategy, over things like spending uh, the Air Force wants more money for strategic bombing and nukes and the Navy wants more ships and, and he kind of has the you know, the credentials or, or the credibility to say no. And, and they actually had revolted against him. Something called the revolt of the generals it was more metaphorical. But, uh, you know, I kind of saw this coming. Um, he lists out in that speech further on that I quoted the exact cost. You know, he says, you know, one bomber is this many grain silos and one battleship is, is this many schools. And then in his final address, his farewell address, which is probably the most famous besides Washington's, Uh, He coins the term sort of military industrial complex, really pointing out how dangerous this is. And it's fascinating that it was Republican, because I just can't really see that happening today, except maybe from some of the libertarian type Republicans, uh, maybe.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I just just to to chime in on the Eisenhower, because I I, I, one of his quotes is my favorite of all time. Uh, He was standing in the Oval Office and he looks at his chair and he says, uh, I pity this nation when someone sits in that chair who does not understand the military like I do. And he wasn't talking about a tactician or strategy or logistics. He was saying because the admirals and generals lie all the time. That's what Eisenhower was talking about. And JFK said more or less the same thing. You know, you can't trust these people. They lie all the time.
1: Matthew, you, you were recently uh, critical of um, the uh, Columbia Dean of Journalism, uh, Steve Cole, uh, and uh, he had a comment about Afghanistan. Could you talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Uh, Steve Cole, uh, who wrote the book Ghost Wars, which is uh, within Washington, D.C. in the foreign policy and military community, is uh, uh, more or less the authoritative source for most uh, officers and diplomats knowledge. Um, And it's a pretty good book. But one of the things you see is that it's a one sided book. And Stephen Cole just published in um, uh, a a long piece on the diplomatic, uh, the secret history of the U.S. diplomatic failure. Uh, is the title of it. And it is, again, very one-sided. Uh, you can go through this, this piece, and there's a part two coming out, so maybe it will be better in the second part. But you can go through his piece, and you will find no quotes from anyone who has, never be, who has never not been on the US payroll. Everyone he talks to has either been a, a, a US official or an Afghan official, all on the US payroll. And that one-sidedness causes him to leave out a lot of context. Uh, Leave out a lot of history. Leave out a lot of uncomfortable truths about the war. Uh, He he speaks, uh, you know, at at length about the back and forth uh, between uh, various American and Afghan officials, but there's no commentary from anyone besides those officials. Uh, and then, of course, we can get into what he missed in the history. He missed, he, 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 he gets the history of Afghanistan wrong uh, in terms of modern history. He just leaves out the fact that violence in Afghanistan had killed 100,000 people by the time the Soviet Union invaded. So he goes with kind of that myth that everything was good until the Soviet Union invaded, leaving out the U.S.'s culpability in Afghanistan from the start. He leaves out the, 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 the great... Uh, uh, the the way that the Taliban consistently tried to negotiate uh, from 2001 through 2009 with the U.S., I mean, consistently, and it was one of the reasons why I resigned was because we would not talk to the Taliban. Right. We had a military victory approach to Afghanistan. He leaves all this out. He, he doesn't discuss about, well, what happens when you put a quarter million man army in Afghanistan, which is what Barack Obama did. He went from I mean, 60,000 US and NATO troops and contractors to 250,000 US and NATO troops and contractors in Afghanistan within a year of being in office, more or less. Uh, what happens when you go for a military victory and you lose well this past summer was what happens when you lose he leaves all that out he uh so i mean i could we could do a whole show on that uh, probably the longest uh probably the longest tweet uh uh chain i've ever done right. um Great i was obviously it, yeah. fired up and maybe had yeah, too much coffee but uh yeah yeah so but i appreciate you bringing that up matt because what i mean the way i ended that too it's important that this stuff is understood and is spoken about correctly and thoroughly. And, you know, holistically, because so many millions of people suffered. And so to, to, to paint this with, a uh, you know, it was really just Trump's fault or things were going good until Biden pulled out the troops or, you know, any other the troops that we hear from the foreign policy establishment over and over again, which is just complete BS, uh, you know, that does such a disservice to everyone who suffered and the families of those who suffered, Americans and Afghans, uh, Pakistanis. I mean, like the list is huge in terms of how, uh, how much misery has been inflicted because of 40 plus years of war. So I think it's important that we, we you know, when, when people who particularly are prominent, who have this author- authoritative uh, position like Cole does, you know when they're missing stuff we have to we have to say look man you, you know you're missing it this is not right can can i just uh follow up by asking
1: Do you think how much of the blame on for for that kind of thing do you do you place on the embed system like i i you know when i was in iraq i remember the first time i had to be escorted to the bathroom uh, and I, I thought to myself, well, if I can't go anywhere, if I, if I can't even go to the bathroom without a military official, you know, trailing behind me, I'm probably only going to get one kind of story out of this experience. Um, and, and after that, you start to think, you know, morally, is it correct to accept these conditions? Uh, but there are a lot of journalists who've, who've covered these wars and have never been um, not been embedded Uh does that leave them to only see one side of the story or is, is what's going on there?
3: Yeah. And that's really purposeful. You know, I mean, that was they were they were quite brilliant. Um, you know, the, the, the folks in the Pentagon in 0203 when they came up with this and they really put it into place. And this was something that comes out of Vietnam, where the United States military sees uh, uh, the press as the enemy. And then you have officers after Vietnam who say, hey, I mean, we've got this wrong. Maybe we can utilize the press. They're not certainly not our friends, but we can manipulate them, you know, and, you know, David Petraeus uh, writes his thesis on one of the, one of the parts of his thesis is about the media in Vietnam, uh, how we can manipulate them, how we could do it better this time. And certainly. And so what they do, Matt, you know, is, yeah, we we put a guy like you or, 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 or a gal like Katie. Right. You, you embed them. You have them with these young men and women for what, 30 days, 45 days, two months. You fall in love with, with those kids, exactly. Right? So you're going to go back and you're gonna write something bad about them? Right. Come on, They're you know. Like let alone denying life. the access. Right. You know, I mean, the fact that if you, hey, Matt Taibbi or Katie Halper, you don't write the right stuff, you're not. And I saw that. I've seen that over and over again. Uh, you know, uh, you know, reporting from from you know, hearing from Diane Sawyer level contacts about like. Well, you know, if we say that, then Martha Raditz isn't going to be able to go on the helicopter with General McChrystal. You know, I mean, that's the level. That's what that's how they, they, they do a carrot and stick and they do it very well. And uh, folks uh, have maybe have read uh, Asma Khan's reporting in The New York yeah, Times this week. And, you know, you read that about the the uh, uh, the civilian casualties caused by American airstrikes. And you say, how could they miss this? How could you miss all this? Well, they're not out there. Like you said, Matt, they're just with the US troops. We used to call them dog and pony shows, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. Journalists would show up or or any other kind of VIP. We had a whole thing planned. You know, a whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 people remember the old uh, um, uh, Chevy Chase film Funny Farm. Mm -hmm. You know, cue the deer. You know, I mean, (laughs) that was literally what we were doing in terms of making sure everything was perfect for <laughs> and i think we're dating ourselves but i look at katie's face looks like she's never seen funny farm or even heard of I it haven't. i yeah.
0: so, haven't <laughs>
1: well, i love that movie was man. based on a town where because i went to the same school as chevy chase it was based on a town called red hook but in the movie it's called red butt anyway oh, uh, I, I used to live there anyway go ahead
3: yeah, but the whole right. thing is about manufacturing mm-hmm. uh the image And, you know, so you would show up, journalists would show up, VIPs, politicians, whoever, and you would take them to the courthouse that you just built. You take them to the schools where literally by point of rifle, school kids were there that day. I mean, you coordinated this with your Afghan and Iraqi partners well in advance, and then you had it and you perfected it. And every time someone else came, you took it out and you did it over again. And that's what people saw. And that's what people took away as truth. Uh, And then, of course, the carrot and stick. Uh, you know, why go against the grain of that with the exception of a few journalists. And I mean, what you see, though, I think one of the things that comes out of Asmat's uh, reporting, and she is so good, people can, can go back. And I first uh, became a, a fan of hers in 2015. She wrote a big expose for either Daily Beast or BuzzFeed about how all these schools we had supposedly built in Afghanistan, they weren't there. You can't find them. Right, I mean, Asmat simply did, you know, Nanga Paul is another great example, go out and do the work uh, rather than saying, oh, hey, the United States has built 3000 schools. Oh, we went out and we found, we looked for them, we couldn't find, we couldn't find 80% of them. You know I mean? That type of reporting has been missing. And what you see though, is well, getting to a point about Asmat, Asmat's work, is she talks about how there's a shift in US policy. And this is really important, I think, for people to understand. Uh, a shifting U.S. warfighting policy that begins around 2013, 2014. George Bush had his large Iraq war, right, ground war. Barack Obama had his large Afghan ground war. Both were incredibly unpopular. Both had political consequences. Uh, Democrats win the midterms in 06 because of Iraq. Barack Obama beats Hillary Clinton in 08 because of Iraq. Barack Obama beats McCain in 08 of rock I know I'm stupid simplifying there's other things, but that's a big thing. 2016, there are uh, work done by folks at Harvard and the University of Minnesota that show that Donald Trump wins I saw this. In, yeah, wins in counties in certain counties in, in important states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Uh, I forget where else, maybe Wisconsin, Donald Trump wins in counties that had disproportionate rates of casualties from these wars, and that Donald Trump portrayed himself as an anti-war guy. He wasn't, but he portrays himself. And there is a really good evidence. So these wars have political consequences. What happens when you switch from these large ground-based wars is the media goes away. And that's how you have happened, even though in Afghanistan, as the war gets worse every year, as more civilians by the thousands die every year, by the Taliban getting stronger every year, the U.S. is spending $300 million a day in Afghanistan. And from 2014 up until the summer of 2021, the U.S. networks cover Afghanistan for five minutes a year, Mm. right? And that's how the wars can continue. And one of the things I will say, because I, I think this is important to get... Across to people, because people are in the peace movement and progressive movement, uh, anti-imperialist movement, however you describe yourself, you get frustrating, you wonder whether or not you're making a difference, you are making a difference, because that was the shift. And why was that shift? Because of public opinion Mm -hmm. having a political effect. And even though the war has become hidden, public opinion still is against the war. So even though with this past summer, where the entire media establishment, with the exception of a few folks, right, like yourselves, are going along with the line about how pulling out of Afghanistan is a mistake, and we were going so well before this, everything else. So even in the the scenes from Kabul and the the way it's it's portrayed and everything else, you still have 74% of Americans saying Joe Biden did the right thing, Hmm. right? I mean, so the wars are unpopular, not because we're war-weary. But because people know these wars are purposeless, they're counterproductive, they're immoral, and they're failed, And so that's why they don't go
0: along. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to YouthfulIdiots.substack.com.
4: Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.
1: That was great. Yeah, it's great. It's infuriating. The lack of coverage about the... About the military, yeah. Both about the spending issue and about the activities of the U.S. military, it's kind of mind blowing.
0: It really is.
1: Uh, and even just in our lifetimes, if you were, if you think about it, you know, Iraq, and you know the the issues they referenced, the you know our presence in Afghanistan, they had such a major impact on liberal thinking in the two thousands. Right. Right, and then suddenly, I like it, it just sort of magically happened that it no longer was a thing.
0: Because Obama,
1: was it Obama? Like, what, like, what exactly happened? Like, it's kind of a mystery to me.
0: I think like, it was in large part Obama, right? I guess so. He was like the good guy, got a Nobel Peace Prize.
1: Right, I guess because now now he's prosecuting our wars, and so we don't want to go after him for that. Right. Yeah. So no, the it's nuclear
0: thing is so scary. The nuclear. Oh winter. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. we should like be making posters about that and stickers.
1: The whole idea that there are some people who think it's that the numbers even lower than that. That doesn't. It's, that wouldn't even be a hundred warheads. It'd be less than that. That would yeah. be necessary to to sort end all life. And so right. a, a limited exchange in India and Pakistan would would certainly be a species threatening event. But you know the the, the the more the probably more serious problem is something like an accidental uh exchange between us and china or us and right. us and uh russia which like, as they mentioned has happened yeah but, you know really scary stuff it's come we've come so, so so close to that like so many times it's nuts it's really uh it's 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 one of those amazing issues that gets zero coverage yeah. you know
0: even though it would kill everyone
1: right well, but I mean, but the whole—think about the whole galaxy of things that we don't cover, okay. right? Like, you know, from nuclear war to you know the possibility of accidental nuclear discharge yeah. to uh, corruption within the military. Yeah. Like, Spending, yeah. Once upon a time, it was, you know, they. You had things like the movie with Kelsey Grammer in it, where you know about the Bradley fighting vehicle. Like the, the public was sorta kind of interested in overspending in the in the Pentagon.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's there's just zero interest in any of that stuff anymore. It's amazing. Anyway, those guys well, are doing a great job. Yeah, so they are. All right, Katie.
0: All right, Matt. Ha-
1: have a good holiday, however you, you celebrate too. it. I celebrate do. I celebrate Christmas.
0: Who's gonna I pray be there? For Jesus. That's what okay. you do, right? You pray to well, Jesus on, on- I hope uh... you're praying
1: to Jesus. If, uh, if
0: you, my if parents you... will be there and my cousin.
1: Ah, all right. Excellent. Yeah.
0: And you? Excellent.
1: Kids, wife, stepmother.
0: Good crew.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good absolutely. entourage, yeah. All right, everybody. Have Stay a, safe, have for a, everyone. Have a, have a happy holiday. We'll, yeah, talk, we'll happy talk to holiday. you soon. Yeah,
0: Fight Omicron. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.